Welcome to the Sunday Service Podcast of First Universalist Church, a Unitarian Universalist congregation located in Minneapolis, Minnesota. We are a radically welcoming and progressive faith community deeply committed to love, justice, spiritual growth, and living out our values in the world. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org. Good morning to all of you. I'm Reverend Justin Schroeder, one of the ministers at First Universalist Church, and really glad you're with us this morning, whether you're with us here live, um, watching on our Zoom channel or YouTube, or if you're joining us later on the podcast or the recording on YouTube, we're just really glad you're here. If you are live with us, looks like you're already doing this, just say hello in the chat if you'd like and let us know where you're joining us from. And if you're listening to the recording later, we'd love to hear from you as well. Send us a note, send us an email, let us know where you're listening from and how you found this faith community. We love to connect. So wherever you're tuning in from this morning, welcome. Several weeks ago, I preached about mosaics, these really beautiful pieces of art that are made up of all these tiny little pieces that together make a beautiful whole. And that's how I imagine this virtual congregation as we stream into this space on Zoom, on YouTube, as we come into this space, each of us is a little piece of the mosaic of First Universalist. Each of us brings into this space our brokenness, our gratitude, our grief, our resilience, our joy, our yearning, our heartbreak, our desire for more, for more life, for more love, for more connection, for more aliveness. We bring that into this space to create this beautiful mosaic, this community of First Universalist. And in this community, we welcome and affirm and protect the light in each human heart. We listen deeply to where love is calling us next. And with humility, compassion, and bravery, we act to create a more just world. We do all of these things as a faith community committed to dismantling white supremacy culture and building beloved community, a place of belonging, a place of shared liberation. This is who we are and this is the life that we invite you into. So friends, here we are. Here we are together coming into this virtual space, recreating this beautiful mosaic together. Here we are holding a space to let love speak to our hearts, to let our spirits catch up with our bodies to mark this moment in time. Here we are, coming into this space to know and to remember and to feel ourselves beloved once again. So let's take a moment to settle in, to find our shared breath, and to find that connection across time and space by really bringing our collective awareness to our breath. We'll take a couple of deep, slow, smooth, intentional breaths together. And I invite you to join me in that now. morning, friends. Today, I have something to tell you. 
And it's something that you may not know. And it's something that you might find a little weird. I am here to tell you that there is something living in your belly. Yeah. But uh, don't worry. It's not a person or an animal or a creature. It's not a like, germ or a sickness or anything like that. It's not dangerous. It's not there to hurt you. It's just a something. And it's always been there. It's always going to be there. Right there in your belly. Forever and ever. You want to know what's even weirder about the something living in your belly? It talks. That's right, it talks. And it's not talking about just any old thing it wants to talk about. Oh, no, no. It's talking directly to you in a language that only you can understand. Want to know what's even weirder than that? It can predict the future. That's right. This something in your belly can predict the future, and it knows exactly what you need to do to be safe and happy and healthy and fulfilled for your whole entire life. And it knows exactly what you need to do to get there. How wild is that? If we listen really closely to the something in our belly, it will remind us that, oh my goodness, of course, we want those same things for all the other people in the world too, right? We want everyone to be as happy and healthy and safe and fulfilled as we want to be. So that something clues us in on when we need to connect with other people too. The thing might say, hey, we haven't heard from our best friend in a while. Maybe we should send her a text message. Or it might say, hey, we haven't talked to our grandma for a while. Maybe we should send her a letter. Or it might say, hey, that friend of ours from church just lost someone in their family. Maybe we should reach out. This thing has a very good way of reminding us that our well-being is connected to the well-being of the people around us. Now, the more you practice listening to this future seeing, all-knowing something in your belly, the easier it will be to hear it. And when we're born, we can hear it clear as a bell. The easiest thing in the world to hear. Because before we learn how to talk, it might be the only thing that we can actually understand. The something tells us that we're hungry or we're tired or we want affection. And it tells us exactly what we need to do to get those needs met. Which, for babies, is screaming and crying, right? So then as we get older, the something gets drowned out by the sounds of so many other things. Stress, self-consciousness, fear, trauma, just to name a few. Now, if you sometimes hear something in your belly, or maybe in your mouth, or maybe in your brain, and that something tells you unkind things about yourself, or encourages you to make choices that could hurt you or other people. It might feel really difficult to figure out which voice you're supposed to listen to. I think all of us struggle with that sometimes, and some of us more than others. But I want to be very clear that this something in your belly that I'm talking about will only tell you positive, responsible choices and things about yourself. 
The something I'm talking about wants only the best for you and the people you love. And although you may not always like what it has to say, it will always speak to you with kindness and respect. And if you have a hard time telling these somethings apart, I encourage you to ask for help from someone you trust. Meanwhile, there are a few things you can do to hear that something in your belly a little more clearly. You can pray or meditate or engage in another spiritual practice. You can practice paying attention to what your body feels like when the something in your body's talking. You can change the pace of your life to create more time for self-reflection. But whatever you do, remember that all you need to know about what you need to do and who you're meant to be is already inside of you, right there in your belly, forever and ever. Amen. So grateful for music for this time together. So beloveds, I'm going to tell you the truth. We're going to talk about grief this morning. And my experience of talking about grief these days is it can be a little overwhelming. So I want to just invite you to take really good care of yourself. Maybe there's a point you need to tune me out and tune out what we're talking about together, or you need to walk around or move your body or close your eyes or whatever it is that helps you to manage what can feel like an overwhelming feeling sometimes. Uh, I trust you know how to take good care of yourselves if you listen to that thing that lives in your belly, as Seth told us about this morning. We know how to do this. We know what we need and we can trust that. So like I said, I wanna talk a little bit about grief this morning. And it happened a couple of weeks ago. I was driving somewhere by myself, which is something that rarely happens these days. And I was listening to the radio and the author that was talking was talking about the experience of collective grief of a large scale, right? So like what happens when there is a war or a genocide or a pandemic and the amount of loss is just so overwhelming. Uh, we can't even really conceive of it. That there are points in society, points in history when this has happened, right? Where we, the amount of loss has just been so large that we can hardly even really grapple with it. So I know this is happening for all of us. We are still very much in the midst of the pandemic of racism that has been part of our country for the last 400 plus years. We are very much right in the middle still of this pandemic of COVID-19. And we have been living with the loss of very particular loved ones, ones who were important to us and whose lives we have lost. 
but we have also been living in the midst of this huge collective loss with ripples we can barely even comprehend, right? So some of those ripples we're starting to, to learn about already. Just this week, some new information came out about life expectancy in the United States and how for Black Americans in this past year, life expectancy has dropped by three years. For Latinx folks, by two years. For white folks, by one year. In the course of one year's time, life expectancy has dropped that much. We don't even know what that means all the way yet, and it's still going. So we are in this time of fairly immense collective loss and very personal loss as well. All of this at one time, and it's not over yet. So here we are. Look, I'm already overwhelmed myself just by talking about all of that. So here's what I need when that happens. I need to find ways to go in sideways, to let some of the grief out in ways that feel manageable and possible to experience things. And that's where I need ritual and ceremony and art and music and poetry. Anything that the Quaker author and uh, activist Parker Palmer talks about as a third thing, right? Some way that we can mediate our experience in a way that works for us, right? So these third things are critical. I had this experience about a week ago where uh, I dropped into a group of colleagues, dear ones that I love and who love me and we know each other really well. And we were gonna talk about our experience of loss. And uh, I had missed all the check-in and all the stuff that got us ready and all the art and music. So all I got was this question, uh, what have you lost this year? And I was asked to just sit and go straight at it. And you know what I did? I got up and walked right out of the room, which is one of the benefits of uh, Zoom life together is I was like, you know what? I cannot handle that. I'm up and I'm out of here. And then when they finally put on some music, I could listen and I could let myself feel and I could begin to come at the question. So I'm talking about the importance of coming in sideways, right? And letting the grief come in the ways that we can manage. So. For me, I noticed this week that grief came in one particular sideways form and it showed up and took me off guard and it came in the form of an email from my daughter's teacher. So like many of you who work for or have kids in the Minneapolis public schools, my family has been adjusting as elementary schools start to shift back to some in-person learning. Now, this is a very complicated time for many of us as vaccines are still not available for the majority of people and not at all for kids, as funding has been sparse for the needed changes that would make schools actually safer, and as families are and the staff are struggling with all the losses that have come with distance learning and the very real fears about what it might be like and the risks that come with being back together in person. So there's all of this swirling, this constant reality too, that the risk and the harm falls disproportionately on people of color and indigenous folks, that it falls disproportionately on people with disabilities and underlying health conditions, the risk falls disproportionately on people living in poverty or in insecure housing, on solo parents, all of this, the hurt and the harm is immense. So this is the backdrop, the context of the reality of the times for so many families and students and staff in Minneapolis right now. So it's with this backdrop, right, that so many of us are facing, that my family faced this question several weeks ago of whether to send our elementary aged kid back to in-person school or keep her at home in distance learning. Now, 
we spent a lot of time on this decision. Uh, we weighed our options in light of our family needs and risks. We noted our priv privilege and asked ourselves how we could use it for the greater good in this moment. We did our own reading and consideration of the facts of the current COVID climate, and we talked to other parents and each other. And as with so many decisions during this pandemic time, there's no perfect way. There's no one right way to proceed. There's only the best decision that we can make with the information we have in light of our own particular circumstances in that moment. So we moved through feelings of hope and possibility and then deep concern. And for us, we came to the decision finally that we would keep our daughter at home for the rest of this year in distance learning. We'd see how it goes. And we know this is just our decision and we are not judging anyone else's. We know we're all doing the best that we can with the information we have, judging what's best for our family and our community. So it's in light of this decision uh, that this email from our daughter's teacher came in this week. It was simple, right? It was a simple email saying goodbye to those of us whose kids were staying in distance learning and so those kids would be moving on to a new teacher, the distance learning teacher. Now, I knew this change was coming. We all did, that we were gonna be losing our favorite teacher and our daughter would face one more change in a year full of loss and change already. But this goodbye email and the marching days of the calendar that told me it was really coming made it all a little too real. So I did what I think any mature person would do in a situation like that. I decided to ignore it. I decided I just wouldn't open the email and that way it wouldn't be real. So I just let it sit there. I don't know, have y'all ever done anything like that? <laughs> so I let it sit there and I let it sit there honestly until I absolutely had to face it. I had to face it because my daughter was understandably having feelings, feeling sad and nervous about this change and she needed me to show up for her as the grown up in the room. So I opened up the email and I read about what the transition was gonna be like and what was gonna happen. And there of course was her teacher being the rock star that the teacher has been all along. The teacher saying, yes, this is hard. Yes, this is one more loss and change in the midst of a hard year for everyone. And, and your kids are brilliant. They're brilliant at taking care of themselves and each other. They've been showing it to us all year. They are resilient, adaptive beings. And while this will be one more hard change for some of them and one easier change for others, they will do it and they're gonna be okay. And they're gonna find their way through. So often these messages that are about uh, my kids that I get from the teachers or the other adults in their lives, I. Feel like they could be offered straight to me too, to us, that we are more resilient than we know, that if we look at the history of this year, we have weathered change after change and we are resilient. We know how to take care of ourselves and each other. We can do this too. So I read this beautiful, simple email from my kiddo's teacher and I just lost it. It was early in the morning. And of course I sent back, you know, the grown up thankful email full of gratitude, which I very much felt. But then I just started crying. 
and I had a meeting I needed to be in and I had work that was on a tight deadline. And as much as I tried to tell myself to stuff it down, I just couldn't. And so I let it flow. The grief was certainly coming at an inconvenient time. And I wonder if this has happened to you through this pandemic. It has happened to me so often and it's a signal. The relief valve needs to be let up a little bit. I need to let a little of this huge grief we are all experiencing in our own particular ways. I need to let it out a little bit and a little bit. And I've been wondering how the news of Reverend Justin's leaving in June has landed with you all in light of this time of so much grief and loss and change already. I've wondered if for some of you it's landed just like that teacher's email did for me, where I was just like, I can't. I hear you, you matter to me, this change matters to me, and I just can't. I can't let in one more thing, one more loss, one more change. Sure, I know and I trust that I will show up and be the grown up and I will say all those things that are right and true, that we are gonna be fine, that this is a great opportunity for Justin and for the church, that all is gonna be well, because I know it will be. But that grown up part of me also needs to let out some of the loss, some of the, <laughs> that kid in me that wants to just dig in my heels, right? And say, nope, not happening, not doing it, uh-uh. So I am grateful that this is not an abrupt change for us as a community that we have several months to be in this, to let our feelings go in all the ways that they will, right? With maybe some anger, maybe some distancing, maybe some desire for more closeness, maybe all the waves as grief and loss and change move through us. I trust we can handle it. I trust we will make our way through. And I trust that whether it's this particular grief or others, we're gonna need to let ourselves flow at some points. So I wanna invite us into a practice this morning. This is the practice of Lectio Divina, which sounds fancy, but it really just means the practice of sacred reading. So what I do when we do this practice of Lectio Divina together is I take a third thing. So for me, that's often a piece of poetry or prose and I read it through once, and then I read it through again, asking you and asking myself to think about what it is stirring in us. What is it calling our attention to? What's coming up as we hear it? So today, the third thing, the sacred reading I want to invite us to do together comes from the author and activist, Adrian Marie Brown. So Adrian Marie Brown, many of you know, wrote the book Emergent Strategy. And here's that third thing that we will engage in together. I'm gonna to read it through once and then I'll go more slowly and invite you to respond in the chat, okay? Remember, you are water. Of course you leave salt trails. Of course you are crying, flow. P.S. If there happens to be a multitude of griefs upon you, individual and collective, or fast and slow, or small and large, add equal parts of these considerations. That the broken heart can cover more territory, 
that perhaps love can only be as large as grief demands. That grief is the growing up of the heart that bursts boundaries like an old skin or a finished life. That grief is gratitude. That water seeks scale, that even your tears seek the recognition of community. That the heart is a front line and the fight is to feel in a world of distraction. That death might be the only freedom that your grief is a worthwhile use of your time. That your body will feel only as much as it is able to, that the ones you grieve may also be grieving you. That the sacred comes from the limitations. That you, you are excellent at loving. So friends, we're gonna to listen to this one more time together. And I'm gonna invite you as I'm reading it, if there are particular phrases that capture your attention that you know you're gonna be sitting with later, that you go ahead and share those in the chat, that you connect if you want to, because after all, our tears, our grief seeks the recognition of community. So here we go again. Remember, you are water. Of course you leave salt trails. Of course you are crying. Flow. And P.S. If there happens to be a multitude of griefs upon you, which there are on all of us, individual and collective, fast and slow, small and large, let us add equal parts of these considerations. That the broken heart can cover more territory that perhaps love can only be as large as grief demands. That grief is the growing up of the heart that bursts boundaries like an old skin or a finished life. That grief is gratitude. That water seeks scale. That even your tears seek the recognition of community. That the heart is a front line and the fight is to feel in a world of distraction. That death might be the only freedom. That your grief is a worthwhile use of your time. That your body, that trustworthy body of yours, that your body will feel only as much as it is able to. That the ones you grieve may also be grieving you that the sacred comes from the limitations, that you are excellent, excellent at loving. You are excellent at loving. Let's take these words in. Let's take them in and hold them with us. We are in a time of great grief, collective and individual coming at us fast and slow, small and large, we are in it. And while this is a particular moment, this is also very much what it is to be a human being, to live and lose and change, to love 
and lose and let ourselves love again and love even more. I'll tell you that I have learned so much from accompanying you in your grief this year and in all the years before. I keep learning by watching how you do it, how you do it with such grace, with such pain at times. One of the things I love most about congregational life, about being here with you is watching your stories change over time, of watching you lose and then love again when you never thought you could. I see your hearts growing, our spirits regenerating, even when it hurts so much. So I wanna tell you just a few of the things I have learned from watching you and watching you move through grief. I've learned that we can do this. We can do it even when we don't think that we can. We can stay present to the suffering and the loss to ourselves and each other and all of our feelings. And that we know when we need a break and it's really good to listen to that. I know that our bodies and spirits have this intuitive unconscious knowing about how to grieve. I know that our bodies and spirits can help us take it in this grief and move through it, that our bodies can actually metabolize our grief at a pace that works for us. I know there's something in our gut, in our bellies, as Seth would say, that is trustworthy and truthful and worth listening to when we are hurting. And I know that there are gifts that come with grief. We've all read about them. Some of us have experienced them. We hope for them when the pain is there, right? This renewed sense of what's really important, this sense of urgency that our time is not limited, that we know that we are mortal, that the time we have with each other might be shorter than we hoped. These are gifts indeed, but when they come with the expectation that we're gonna live in that intensity all day, every day, all our lives, it's simply too much. So we catch the gifts, we notice them when they're there and we let our bodies and spirits lead us through how much we can hold and when. I've learned that grief is not linear, that it doesn't go through five exact stages on a timeline, that there are so many ways and it moves back and forth and back and forth, that it's fluid and flowing. And this is where I lean on what Reverend Ruth used to say to us all the time. She used to tell us that every loss we experience rings the bell of our other losses, our older losses. And this is hard, of course, when that bell gets rung and the echo ripples out and we hear those other losses coming in when we thought what we were going through is enough and plenty, thank you very much. But what she would say next is that when this bell of loss gets rung in us, it offers an opportunity for healing for all those older losses too. So we will lean on each other, each other's learnings, each other's love and care, this intuitive sense in us that knows how to do even this hard thing of being alive right now in this moment. So I want us to remember that we are water. Of course, we leave salt trails. 
of course we are crying. We are meant to flow. And for those out there who like me love a good fact, if we are truly 60 to 70% water, of course we're meant to flow. We are not meant to be stagnant. We are meant as hard and as good as it is to live and lose and love and change and live and lose and love and change again and again and again, just as our ancestors have, just as those we never will know will do too. So let's count on this living, loving, losing, living, loving, losing again together and the rhythm and the flowing that our bodies and spirits can absolutely handle. So in this time, I invite us to be blessed, to be blessed with the music of our choir. They have put together another beautiful piece for us. They've spent so much time and energy figuring out how to do this and connect each other and connect us. And so they are gonna bless us this morning in song with one of my favorite pieces, the Gaelic Blessing. Thanks for listening to this podcast from First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. We're a faith community committed to racial justice, and together we give, receive, and grow in the universalist spirit of love and hope. To learn more about who we are and our ministry, please visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org.